Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes. Starting Ecclesiastes today, we'll be in Ecclesiastes several months. Like I said earlier, I encourage you to read through this book. It's kind of nostalgic this morning. See some familiar faces that was with us years ago. Ecclesiastes. The the name Ecclesiastes. It comes from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. What they did is they translated the word Koheleth, which in the Hebrew means one who speaks in the assembly, the preacher or the teacher. And they gave it the name Ecclesiastes. So that's where we get this unusual name for this book. And uh, it seems in verse 1, it says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, speaks of the writer Solomon. If you look in, in chapter 12, Verse 9 through 11, verses 9 through 11, it says, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. And so it appears to be. Uh, written by Solomon, we, as Blake read for us, Solomon, when he became king, God asked him what he wanted, and he wanted wisdom to be able to rule the nation of Israel as he should, as God would have him to. And so God granted him that and gave him great wisdom, more than anyone who we've ever, ever read about or ever known, apart from, of course, the man Christ, Jesus, right? He is Solomon, is the wisest man that's ever lived. And so he writes these words for us. We're going to look in chapter 1 today. And as you read through this book, understanding it can be kind of troublesome, or it has been for me. It's kind of a daunting task. It seems confusing at times, uh, and at times it's kind of, it seems like it contradicts itself. Another time, it just uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to us, maybe. Uh, is Solomon depressed? Is he a cynic? Is he just a pessimist? Um, he seems, sometimes he seems content and only discontent, being discontent. But we know from Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it, it tells us something about the Word of God and how it is inspired by God and it is profitable and it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. And so we know this book, although difficult uh, it may be to understand, we know that it's inspired by God. We know that it's profitable for us to study it. It makes us wise uh, for salvation and so we're going to study it. And um, it's part of what we call wisdom literature. Part of the Bible made up of the Psalms, Job, Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. And wisdom writings usually, they don't give us a lot of direct information, a lot of historical information about Israel per se. Um, 
But it, what it does, it just raises questions about life and deals with moral issues. Think about the Song of Solomon, those of you that's read that book in the Bible. Those two people who were in love, they were trying not to awaken love until it so desires. Think about Job and how he had everything taken from him but his life, but yet he still found a reason to praise the Lord, to give God glory. We think of wisdom literature and we think of these books. But I want to encourage you as we study this book, we can't pick out bits and pieces of, of this book without remembering the overall message of the, of the book. And then we have to take that message and where does that fit in the overall story of redemption, the overall picture of the Bible? Where does that fit in? So I'm going to help us hopefully do that. But we also have to remember it contains a lot of Proverbs. Of course, Proverbs, we know, they're not promises, right, or guarantees, but they're just general observations. But this book has been somewhat of an enigma to me. It's been somewhat difficult. And so I spent time this, this winter, this, this last fall and this winter, studying just so I could get a handle on this, this book. And I've leaned heavily on two men, Dr. Tom Schreiner, who was one of our professors at the seminary. I leaned heavily on him uh, and also Phil Reich, and he's the, the president of Wheaton University. But I, their writings and their teaching, I've leaned heavily upon them, uh, and they give me a, a lot of help. I want to mention something to you as we begin. Solomon makes a, a conclusion at the end of the book. And there in chapter 12, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14, this is the, his conclusion at the end of the book. If you're reading it and you're just scratching your head, thinking, man, this doesn't really make sense to me. But at the end of the book, this is Solomon's Conclusion. Look at verse 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So as we're studying this book, we always need to keep the, this, this conclusion in mind. That'll help us make progress through the book. But what, is, what does he conclude? He concludes, you know what? We need to obey the Lord because judgment is coming. So we need to keep that in mind as we, as we study. Solomon, he seems real pessimistic. He's a real melancholy kind of fellow. Some of you are kind of prone to that, maybe. But he's real prone to being melancholy and just being somewhat depressed. Uh, maybe you could, you could say that. Maybe he, he's cynical at times also, it seems. But he's not faithless. He's not faithless. In fact, as we'll see as we study through the Scriptures, in times when he really doesn't understand and he can't explain life's happenings, he responds in faith. And in his concluding, uh, his conclusion, his concluding argument is, you know what? When it's all said and done, we need, to, we need to obey the Lord. We need to trust Him because judgment is coming. So, why should we study Ecclesiastes? I'll give you a couple of, couple of reasons uh, I've, I've written down why we should study Ecclesiastes. The first thing is just to learn from the wisest man that's ever lived, apart from Christ. Right? That's reason enough, I think. I think he's a, he'll provide uh, us with good teaching. I think he qualifies as a good teacher. So uh, as, as Blake just read to us, he asked for wisdom and God gave it to him greater than anyone that's ever lived. He tells us that his words are like goads 
like a, a cattle prod, if you will. Uh, it'll prod our thinking and it'll exhort us to give us direction on how to live life. The second reason we should study this book is because it's just honest about life. It's just a real honest book about life. You know, sometimes we, uh, you know, in Christian circles, we, 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 for some reason, we try to make it out to be, well, you know, if you just follow God, everything will work out all right. If you give your heart to Jesus uh, and follow Him wholeheartedly, you won't have, you won't have problems that other people have. And he'll just make your life easier. Well, is that true? Yeah, life doesn't always get easier. In fact, for some of us, it gets more difficult. Now, there are some aspects of it that make it easier because we have the Holy Spirit that dwells us and empowers us. Of course, we have the, the promise and assurance of eternal life. That makes life easier when we're going through hard times. We know that there, we do have a hope, right? Through hard times, we have a hope. We don't live for just this temporal life. We're living for what's to come, but it, it's just honest about life, and this Phil Reichen, he said, yeah, this is the only book of the Bible that was written on a Monday. You know, just, it just asks real hard questions, and, uh, and it's an honest book. I, I think the third reason why we should study this book is it, it's relevant today, and the same questions that, that Solomon was trying to answer, we still ask today, or people ask today, right? This is 900 years before the coming of Jesus. Solomon's just trying to figure out the answer to, to life's questions like what's the meaning of life what's, do we have purpose is there more to life than what I'm experiencing you ever have that question why am I so unhappy you ever thought that or why is there so much suffering yeah it just, it's just relevant it's relevant for us today fourthly it's to learn what will happen to each of us if we choose what the world offers and refuse to accept what God wants to give us. See, Solomon, as we read through this, he's got a real worldly point of view. And he's coming at, some people say, well, he's thinking horizontally. You know, he's looking at life just as an average person that doesn't know God. Right? He's not thinking about God and his purposes. Right? He's just thinking horizontally. Fifthly, why should we study Ecclesiastes? Just to learn to trust God despite our frustrations. Because life's frustrating. I get frustrated daily. And some of you, maybe you're just in a, in a season of life. It's just a season of frustration. But I think studying this book, we will, on the, on the other end, when we finish, I think we'll, we'll be encouraged to trust God even, even though we have frustration. Well, the, the overarching theme of the book is that life without God is meaningless. Life without God is meaningless. But I don't think that's the, 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 the whole premise of the book. It's not the, the total theme of the book. Life without God is, is meaningless. But also, even for the believer, life's just frustrating sometimes. Life's just frustrating. So the thing of the book, life without God is meaningless, but even for believers... Sometimes life's just, just hard. It's just frustrating. We don't master life. None of us have it all figured out, right? I mean, sometimes we, 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 we get older, we think, man, it's just going to get better and easier. I'm just going to have things figured out more. It's like I got this burn mark. People keep asking, man, is that a birthmark on your arm? No, I burn myself, all right? I'm, a, I'm an idiot. And I burn myself. And I'm not going to go into detail on how I burn myself. It don't matter. I just burn myself. And I was talking to the. Uh, so the gentleman in, in uh, 
some older gentlemen, people who were seasoned in life older than me, and they said, what happened there? And I said, well, you know, uh, you have to go through uh, trials in life till you learn not to do this anymore, right? And then, but some of those older fellows, well, you know, we do that stuff too, you know? Yeah, you think when you get older, you just have it all figured out, but, but you don't. Even as, as those of you that are, that are mature, you think, yeah, life still, it's, it's, it's hard. And it's frustrating. It frustrates us. It's in itself, is is enigmatic. It's just, it's just hard to figure out. Why do these things happen? Well, we don't we don't know sometimes. But let's read. Let's read this chapter. And today's just going to be an introduction, kind of get us started. But we're going to look at these first 18 verses. And there's three things I think we can learn from this text. Okay, let's read through it together. And I'm going to read now the, the English English Standard Version. That's from now on, that's what I'll be using. Okay, the boat. Uh, made it from China and we're able to get all of our, our, our supplies and, and in fact I couldn't find my Bible once I got it. You know how it is when you move you can't find things. Like we're, we're still looking for stuff. Like where's the mop handle? We had this certain kind of mop. Like we're still if anyone knows let us know. We want to know. James like where we've unpacked everything then we just can't we can't find some stuff. Where is it? Um, but anyway I ended up having a, to get me a, another Bible. I couldn't find my my ESV Bible. Anyway, I've got an ESV. That's why I'll be teaching at it for now on. So if you want to get a Bible, I'd encourage you to get an ESV. Hopefully we'll be able to have a few Bibles before too long. For those of you that uh, you don't bring your Bible as a habit, you can be able to read along with us. But anyway, read now the ESV. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Round and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams, they run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Are y'all encouraged so far? <laughs> Let's keep reading. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Remember, Solomon asked wisdom, God gave him, so he's using his wisdom to try to find out these answers. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let's pray and we'll, we'll learn three things from this text. Father, we acknowledge that we, we can't understand your word and, and we can't apply your word without your grace and your spirit's help. So we pray that you would encourage us as we begin today to study Ecclesiastes, Father. Your word is profitable. Your word is inspired by you. It is, it is true and it is life-changing. 
Father, use it to change our lives, even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Three points today, quickly. The first one is there is not one aspect of life that is not frustrated by vanity or futility. Look at verses 1 through 3. The purpose of the book is to answer verse 3. Look at verse 3. What does a man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? Now, under the sun, can also see, you'll see this elsewhere in the book. He'll refer to it as under heaven. What does it mean? It means just in this life, right? In our, in our life. In our lives, right? What can be gained? And in other words, what's the, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? And then he, he gives us an answer in verse 2. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So the sum of human existence is, is vanity, is meaningless. It doesn't make any sense. It has no purpose. And what Solomon's going to do, he's saying it's all meaningless. It doesn't make any sense. And he's going to spend the next 12 chapters proving that to us. Now remember, he's coming from a, a worldly perspective. God has given him great wisdom, more so than any man has ever, ever had. And what he's going to do is he's going to try to find the answers to life's toughest questions. But he's doing it just as a carnal man, as a fleshly man. And his, his result, his conclusion, everything's meaningless. In fact, in, in chapter 12, verse 8, at the end of the book, he, he repeats the same comment. All is vanity. It's all meaningless. Now, vanity here doesn't mean, we, we think of, if someone is vain, what do you think of? Yeah, you think of your sister, right? Sitting in front of the mirror, crimping, right? Yeah, he said, you're so vain, right? Uh, and that's true. That means kind of egotistical, self-absorbed, maybe. But that's not what the word means here. All right, the word here, vanity, it actually means smoke or vapor. It's like when you go out on a cold morning and you, and you see your breath as you're talking. You know, you see your breath. If you try to grab the breath, what happens? It's just kind of elusive. It eludes you. You can't get a hold of it, right? Well, that's the meaning of this word. I mean, it's just kind of like a vapor. It's just, it's, just elus it's elusive. And sometimes it's translated meaningless. Sometimes it, it, it's, tra it's translated, uh, uh, it's just absurd, right? It doesn't make any sense. I can't make sense of it, right? So this word, vanity, has a really broad meaning. And it's used different ways, different times it's used different ways in this book. But it, sometimes, in, in fact, when, when Solomon deals with injustice, he says, that's just absurd. It makes no sense, right? So vanity here has a, has a wide range of meanings. But you could just say meaningless, okay? It's, it's, it's futile. Um, verse 3, what is the purpose of life? What is, what, is, what is the meaning of life? What can give our lives meaning and purpose? And then, so Solomon, what's he going to do? He's going to take, take what every normal person uses to give them meaning in life. He's going to test it out. And he's going to show how empty it is. Money, power, pleasure, knowledge, work, all going to prove to be empty. It's meaningless. It gives us no meaning. Okay? So let's look at the first of life's vain sources of meaning and purpose. And that will be our second point. second point is just the newness of life. There's nothing really new in life. Look at verse 4 through, 4 through 11. There's not one aspect of life that's not frustrated by vanity and futility. And there's really nothing new in life. Okay? Nothing new in life. Look at verse 4. Generations. Talk about generations. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Generations come and go. People live and die and life goes on. Right? 
I mean, we selfishly like to think that, you know, if, if my life ended and I was taken to be with the Lord tomorrow, there are certain people in this world, they just couldn't function. They couldn't go on. And we like to think that, but is that true? No. And some of you, you lost people you love, mamas and daddies and husbands and wives and sisters and daughters and sons. And it's hard and it's horrible and it's painful. But what happens? Life, life goes on. I was, uh, Miss Esther, I was at her home on Friday and we were just talking about the life and um, they were sharing about her and just some interesting stories and that family's grieving and they're going to miss their mother and grandmother but you know what? It's going to be painful for a time, but there, there will come a point in time where what happens? Life just kind of happens, right? You have to get up in the morning. You have to take a shower. You have to go to work. You have to cook supper. You have to live life. And life just kind of goes on. I mean, think about it. How many of you, and those relationships for us are really important, but, you know, in a generation, two generations past, I mean, who's going to even know our name? I mean, think about it. Your paternal great-grandfather. Paternal great-grandfather. You know his name? I don't. You're all going. Paternal. Your paternal great-grandfather. Maternal. Your maternal great-grandfather. You know your maternal great-grandfather's name? Do you? Yeah. Um, Hedy, is that right? Is that right? Hey, that gets that right? Yeah. Maternal. I don't know. You know, it's kind of like, well, my point is, you know, I mean, we live our lives, and but generations past, one generation past, people, well, they know Shane Hartsfield. They don't even know my name. They don't know who I am, and they won't, they don't care. Generations come and generations go, right? Yeah. It's, it, just, it does. Look at verse 5. 5 through 8. You see this repetition of nature. Nature is cyclical, right? The sun comes up every morning. The winds and the jet streams, they continue to move across the earth, right? The streams, what do they do? They run continually into the sea, but what happens? The sea is just never filled up. It's just a continual cycle, right? There's this, And there's kind of like this monotony of life. As you read through this, it's, just, it's kind of mundane and monotonous. Generations come and go. Nature's still running its course. Things are just as they are and moving right along. Look at verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. In other words, what do we say? How do, what do we say? So it's hard to put into words. This is just a lie. Life just goes on and things happen and, and, and we pass away and, and the next generation comes and nature's still doing its thing. It's just this, this mundane monotony, right? Just like the streams and rivers pouring into the sea never fills it up so life just doesn't satisfy it. It's just mundane and monotonous. Look at verse 9 through 11. We see here, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Well, it kind of scratch your head. I think that's what it's saying is history repeats itself. Right? Is there a thing in which it says, see, this is new? It has been already in ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things. Talking about generations, right? Yeah, our great, 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 your great grandfather. What about your great great grandfather? That'd be more difficult, right? I don't, I don't know. 
nor would there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. There's just this uh, monotony of life, and it's just not very satisfying. I mean, think about it. The new car, what happens after you, the first time you run up, you run down the side of those limbs on the thing, you know, that's got blown over by the storm, right? You have to go by and you, you hear the scratching. The new car loses its luster, right? Quickly. What about the new song that you love? I mean, the new song now, in a few years, you're like, I hate that song, right? Friends are friends forever. You love that song, do you, Chris? And now you're like, please don't sing that song. Please don't play that song. I hate that song, right? These new things, they become, yeah, it gets old quickly. The routine of life, some of you are like, oh, I just can't, I just want to stay home and I have to work. And about a week and a half into being home, you're like, oh, gracious, what am I doing? I want to go back to work, right? What about summer break? Summer break, everybody's so excited. Yeah, about five days into that summer break, what are kids saying? I'm so bored, right? Yeah, all this, everything that's new. I mean, come up with something new and it just gets old really quickly. There's just our activities. They only produce weariness and dissatisfaction. We get bored with things really quickly. I mean, we work and then we just want to take a break. Then we take a break. I don't want to take a break. I want to do something, right? Blaise Pascal, he's a, 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 a scientist, a believer. He's written a lot of cool things. And I want to read this to you. This is a quote from him. All our life passes in this way. This is how we live our life. We seek rest by struggling against certain obstacles. And once they are overcome, rest proves intolerable because of the boredom it produces. It's just like, you know, we're just in this cycle. Man, I want to do something. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do something. I don't want to do it. It's just this mundane routine. People, people who live for the weekend, right? Yeah, you have a lot of people, they just live for the weekend. Live for the next event, the next party. Well, even that gets over after a while, doesn't it? Yeah, there's nothing really new in life. All those new things, they just kind of get old. They don't satisfy us. Third point, lastly, having wisdom doesn't change the monotony of life either. Look at verse 12. Solomon, he was a man who had no equal. David, his father, he had fought. He was a he was a warrior. David was a warrior. And he was just in battle all the time. And a victorious warrior at that because God was on his side. But after after David passed on, Solomon began to reign over Israel. Well, Solomon had 40 years of peace. He wasn't a warrior. He didn't have to fight. His dad had done it for him. So they were at peace. So he didn't have anything to do. Not only that, but he had plenty of money, right? He had wealth. Plenty of wealth. He had plenty of, of time to pursue the good life. To try to answer some of these hard questions. Look at it says, I the preacher have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Now it's not like this person who says, you know, I'm just gonna he's not a hedonist who says, Man, I'm just gonna live the good life. I've got money. I don't have any responsibilities. Woohoo! I'm just going to live it up and do whatever. Like maybe we would do, right? Or a carnal person would do, right? A non-believer would do. But he, he's got this wisdom that God's given him. He's got this wisdom. And what he's doing, he's using the wisdom. He's not just, it just has no restraints, right? 
It's not like, oh, he's just having a strange where he's going to go after wine and liquor and he's just going to, he's going to take all that and, 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 and drink himself into oblivion. No, he's, he's using wisdom. That's the difference here about Solomon. So like a lottery winner, right? Someone wins a lottery. Well, all of a sudden they quit their job. They don't have to work anymore. They got all this money. What do they do? They buy all the new stuff they ever wanted and they go on all the trips they want to go on, right? And they just try to live it up. But the, but the difference in a lottery winner and Solomon is they don't have the wisdom that God have. They don't have God's wisdom. So Solomon used this wisdom and applied these things and tried to just figure out these hard questions. He says, verse 14, I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. He had all this wisdom, and he's had all these experiences, right? But he still said, this is vanity. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Because there's many problems in the world that can't be fixed. Solomon had all this wisdom and he had all this money and he had all this time. He could do whatever he wanted to do. But you know what? He says, you know, in the end, there's a lot of things that just don't make sense. And there's a lot of problems that just can't be fixed. I think about the medical field, how it's incredible how we can take uh, an organ and give it to a person who needs it and extend their life. But yet, people die every day from the simplest, smallest problems. It's mind-boggling, right? Yeah, well, how, we can do all these things, and you all have those questions too. Well, if we, medical science, we can do all these things. How, how can we still have this little bit stupid problem that people are dying from? Right? I mean, today in this world, people are, people are dying. Children are going to die today because they don't have clean drinking water. Now, us living here in Tiffany County in the United States of America, that's just, that don't make sense. That don't make any sense. We see people who have difficulties in life, and we want to be able to help them, like teenagers, right? You see teenagers making stupid mistakes, destroying their lives. And you see the problem, you see what they need to do, but you can't fix it. Maybe have know somebody that they're maybe they have an addiction and they have some difficulty in their life, a problem. They come to you for counsel, and you know the you know the solution. You know what they need to do, but you can't fix it for them. You ever been there? Yeah. Just man, there's some things just can't be fixed in life. Yeah. Some things just can't be fixed. I mean, think about the your loss. Those of you that are believers, you got you have a a family member who's not a believer. They they yet to repent, trust Jesus, and you want them to so badly, and you just can't do it. Only God. There's things in life that only God can do. We know God can save this person. God can change this. God can do this. God can do that. But sometimes God just doesn't will to do it. Why is that? And Solomon, I don't think he's saying wisdom's a bad thing. Oh, wisdom's not good. That's not what Solomon's saying. Don't misunderstand what he's saying here. No, wisdom is good. It's far better than folly and, and, and foolishness. And he'll, he'll tell us that later. But it's not, the, it's not the solution. He had wisdom. And look at verse, verse 18. He had all this wisdom. 
And he said, sometimes wisdom just makes it worse. The more wisdom we have, the more what? The more sorrow. For much wisdom is much vexation. That's just trouble, heartache. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Ignorance is bliss. That's kind of true sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes I just don't want to know. <laughs> I, uh, in China, Jenny and I lived in China for 10 years, and we talked to mom and dad every Monday morning. That was our time. We Skyped with them. The kids talked with them. We just talked with them. Well, there was a season of time where, I don't know, about a year, where every time I talked to them, I would say, well, give me a report. What's going on? What's going on at church? What's going on with people we know? Da, da, da. And it was just like a year went by. It was like this... Uh, black cloud over Tiffany County or something. But she's, every time it was bad news. And finally I got to where I was like, look, if it's bad news, don't tell me. I don't want to know of, you know, so-and-so leaving their spouse and so-and-so doing this. And, you know, I, I just didn't want to know that people just making decisions, wrecking their lives. I was like, I just don't want to know about it. I'd rather not know. I'm having a bad day. I'd rather you not tell me more bad news. Just don't tell me. Ignorance is bliss. Like, yeah, just, I just don't want to know. If I don't know, it, it'll be better. And sometimes maybe that is true. But that's not what Solomon's saying. We have to understand the overall, his overall point. Don't miss the forest for the tree. The point is that having wisdom and knowledge and intellect is good, but that doesn't nullify the truth that Life's painful. Doesn't make sense sometimes. It's hurtful. The more we understand life, the more painful it becomes sometimes. I mean, think about children, innocent children. They're just naive and real trusting. Real trusting. You know, we're um, we've been in China, and uh, there's a lot of things living in China that we, our children, we don't have to worry. We haven't had to worry about. And now we come back to America, and it's like. Now we have to educate our kids. And you know what? There's part of me, I don't want to educate our kids. I don't want to tell them about this stuff. I'd rather them, I'd rather them just be innocent. I don't have to bring this garbage up to them. Because when you do, what happens? You look, they lose part of their innocence. I don't want to have to do it. But we have to, don't we? We have to educate and equip our kids how to deal with this sinful world. And so our, our, some of our kids are at that point where, man, we've got to start educating them. We've been, they've been insulated in, in China where they didn't watch a lot of TV. They don't know, they didn't know one profane word in Chinese, right? So yeah, it's just, especially all the things that's happened in our culture over the last year or two. Yeah, you know, we've just been removed from them. But now it's like, wow, we've got to educate our kids on some of this stuff. But I don't want to. I'd rather be, not, I'd rather be innocent and naive. But you know, eventually you have to you have to educate them. Wisdom. Having wisdom doesn't change the monotony of life. There's not one aspect of life that's not frustrated by this futility, vanity. There's nothing really new. And the monotony of life doesn't satisfy us. We get bored with it. And having this great wisdom doesn't change that. So you say, well, now that you've now that you bored me, and now that I'm depressed, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, again, we have to remember what's his, what's his, we have to remember what's his conclusion, right? We can't forget Sodom, what did he conclude? And all this, 
all this research and trying to answer all these difficult questions, what is the conclusion? The conclusion is, when we don't understand and it doesn't make any sense and life's painful, what do we do? We fear God, we trust Him, we obey Him because judgment's coming. So our application today, several, several things, just by way of application, I'll, I'll give you. And we'll, have, we'll expound upon this in the, uh, in the weeks to come. Don't be, don't be in despair. Don't be pessimistic. Don't be down in the mouth. Don't be cynical or depressed. Even though life's frustrating. It is. I, I kind of liken it this week to my mom's a banker. And she always, she always, um, anytime I have any issues to bank or whatever, she's our power of attorney too. So she would always help me. Would do, hey mom, I got a problem with the bank. Da, da, da. She would take care of it. But um, now that I'm back, you know, it's like I, I've got to I bounce my checkbook. I need to do all those things. But life's kind of like your checkbook when it just won't balance. Have you, have you done that? You're balancing your checkbook and it just won't cut. Something's just not right. And you go back and you add it back up. You've done that? You add it back up and you look checking everything and it just, it just won't equal out. It's not, it's not right. And you can't figure out why. What am I missing? I'm missing something. I'm misadding something or I've, I've got a deposit that's not there or I've, I've re, you know, recorded something wrongly. Yeah, life's kind of like that. It's just frustrating sometimes. But don't be... Don't be pessimistic. Don't be depressed. Don't be cynical. You say, well, what, why, don't you, why should you not be cynical? You've got to remember Solomon's conclusion. Fear God, trust God. I, I, I know that life's hard, but man, there's a promise that he gives us that the work he begins in, in us, what is he going to do? He's going to finish it. He's going to finish in all our difficulties and all our frustrations and all our struggles. All it is is a tool in the Master's hand. And what is He doing? He's using all these frustrations, using these hard times. And some of you have been through the ringer. Some more than others. But we've all had pain. Some of you really had some hurtful, gut-wrenching, difficult times. But God wants to use that. He wants to sanctify you and make you more like Jesus. So there's a reason for it. So don't lose hope but hoping God. Another thing by way of application, just resist the temptation to find fulfillment in, in, in all that the world throws at you. All that the world values so greatly. Solomon's saying, it won't satisfy. I've been there and done that. I've tried it. So resist the temptation to find satisfaction in all that the world throws at you. All that the, it doesn't satisfy you. That futility, that frustration is just used to, to draw us to the Lord. And that's what He wants to do for, for believers. He wants to use that to draw us to Him. He's saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. I am sovereign over all of your problems. I know each and every one. And I'm using it to make you more like Jesus. And that is what we need to hope in. God, there is a reason for this. There is a reason for this. I don't know what it is. I may never know. But there's a reason for this. And you are going to make me more like Jesus through this trial, through this struggle through this frustrating part of my life. But that's for, for us believers. If, and if you're a, not a believer, if you're a, a person who you've never repented, you've never turned from your sin and trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never 
placed your faith and trust in Jesus who took your punishment on the cross and on the third day rose from the dead. I'll speak to you. God loves you. Life is hard. Life is frustrating. You've experienced it. Maybe you're experiencing it right now. If you repent and, and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that doesn't mean that your problems are going to go away. In fact, you may have, it may compound some of your problems. I'm not going to give you this smokescreen thing. Say, well, if you, you walk with Jesus, then life will be great and everything will be fine. But I'll just say I've walked on my own. I've been opposed to Jesus, and I've walked with Him. And walking with Him is far better. That, that song we sang was real appropriate. We are a friend of God. Isn't that amazing? If you've never repented and trusted Jesus, the Bible says that you're at enmity with Him. That means you're opposed to Him. You're at war with Him. You're opposed to God. You know what? When you're opposed to God, guess what? God's opposed to you. In fact, if you die, God's going to be pouring out His wrath upon you for all eternity, and that is what He should do. Because you're a sinner. That's what you deserve. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus took your punishment. He took the wrath of the Father in your place so you wouldn't have to. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.